It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. My very special guest today is a talent optimization consultant who helps the C-suite solve people problems using science and data. She's a former member of the Predictive Index team of pioneers, which is where I met her. She has been a proud steward of the talent optimization discipline since its inception, which I absolutely love. And throughout her career and her varied experiences, her guiding light has been making an impact and being of service to others. She is Liz Palmieri. Welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you, Matt. So excited to be here. It is fabulous to see you again. I'm so glad you agreed to come on to the show and talk to us all about our topic today, which is going to be chief executive <laughs> officer. We're going to look at the at leadership that is through the lens of the chief executive officer. So maybe to get us started right here off the top, in your view, what is the primary role of a CEO in an organization? Yeah. So I think we can probably all agree that the CEO is the person responsible for making major corporate decisions, um, overseeing the overall operations and the company resources. Um, the part that I more so like to think about and focus on is the visionary aspects. So setting the vision for the organization, really embodying and personifying that vision. So it's really important to be walking the talk. Um, I think really excellent CEOs are storytellers who are able to share the story of that vision with shareholders, you know, the internal stakeholders, the employees, team members, leaders of the organization, um, and then also sharing the story publicly to really make the, the, you know, the brand vision pretty clear. CEOs are also the steward of their culture. And uh, if they're uh, really in tune, they understand that um, they can't absolve themselves of the people function of the organization. That sounds like a big job. There was a lot going on there. We should probably unpack that a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the first thing I heard was talking about having a vision, being able to see into the future and understand sort of where you're directing or, or navigating the company. So CEO, she shows up, she says, all right, I've looked two, three, four, five years, however, what's most appropriate for the organization. And I see where we're going. Is that, is that a big part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so that you have some sort of a guiding light that everybody knows, you know, this is our, our common goal. This is what we're working towards and aligning on. Um, and it really helps to clarify decisions about, you know, what objectives and strategic initiatives actually make sense. One of the things I think is really interesting, you also mentioned the role of being a storyteller. And I almost think of it like a translator. So I've, I've seen, I'm the CEO, I've seen out into the future, I'd see a market opportunity, or I see an organizational capability to create a new product or service or serve an, an unmet need in the market. But I can't just always expect other people to see what I've seen. I have to translate for them. And I think your point about storytelling is really important because it makes something that can be pretty complex, like strategy or you know, market domination uh, can make it a little bit more accessible. So what, what other aspects of storytelling do you think of when you think about like the best CEOs? Well, I think you make a really good point about, you know, the, the need to understand, like, for example, like maybe industry trends that might be related to the vision. Um, I also think that, you know, I mentioned three sort of segments of potential audience that we're telling the story to as executive leaders in terms of it being like potentially shareholders or more the general public or the internal stakeholders, the employees. And so you have to take in consideration what's going to be important to them 
So finding that right balance between, you know, when we think about your employees and team members, how much of the industry information do they need to understand? You know, how, how can we speak in a way that's going to feel really relevant and accessible to them? And most importantly, how do we explain what's in it for them? You know, what do they have to gain by buying into this, this vision? Yeah, I think it's more important now than ever. I think, um, you know, being really uh, purpose driven and being uh, very centric about the mission of the organization. It seems to me that early career professionals in particular with these newer generational cohorts to enter the workforce are really wanting to understand and be a part of something bigger than themselves, arguably is uh, more than we've ever seen. So I, I feel like the CEO took on yet another sort of important part of that that role of being able to explain and and create a certain amount of gravity around that mission. Oh yeah, the, I mean, when we think about, yeah, the up and coming workforce of millennials and Gen Z, the culture piece, it's like underline, bold, exclamation point, exclamation point. They want to be a part of something that makes a difference. They want to uh, feel like they are working at an organization where they really resonate with the values and that there's um, some social responsibility, a focus on DEI. So yeah, absolutely. Like the culture is just a big part of it right now. And that kind of bridges us over from some of the more kind of the technical aspects, like we started off talking about market trends and industry opportunities and all these things that could be arguably a little bit more of the hard side of, of management and, and, and executive function. But then you move into the softer side, right? The people side, our favorite mm -hmm. side, you and me, uh, which is all about now we're talking about the culture and getting, you know, inspiring others and, and creating enthusiasm from within the workforce. That part, you know, seems to be a little bit uh, more of a stretch for some CEOs, I think, who if they came up in more of the technical ranks. Have you seen that as well? Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, having competence um, can, you know, an outsized level of competence doesn't necessarily translate to your people. And when you're trying to create buy-in with them, they're like, yeah, this person, they may really know a lot about the nature of our business or the industry or where we need to go and where we're headed. But if they can't make me feel really excited about all of that, then how are they going to lead me there? Yeah, a lot of times I find that, you know, maybe the, a founder became a CEO and, and the organizations had success and gotten bigger. So at one time they spent a lot of time you know, being an architect or an engineer or whatever the company, you know, whatever service they provided, uh, maybe a landscaper, it doesn't even matter. But then the percentage of time that they spend on people matters as a CEO is dramatically more than they spend on those technical aspects of doing, you know, rolling up your sleeves and doing the actual work. So I think that's really speaks to something we're going to talk about quite a bit, which is your, your people lens that you're putting on the, on the CEO role. Yeah. One thing that I think is really important, so uh, the, the audience that we have is our listeners who are either aspiring leaders, maybe leaders who've, who want to reach that next level, uh, those who are dedicated to learning more about their craft, and, and many of which aspire to be CEOs someday. But even without that, we often encourage leaders at every level to act like CEOs of their respective function, department. When I led product teams, a lot of time it was like, be the CEO of your product line. And, and I think we use the term because it's a very identifiable position, right, to be a CEO. But based on your work with CEOs, what does being the CEO of your functional area, how might that look for, for those level down leaders? Yeah. So I think the, the first thing that I, I kind of want to talk about there is 
you know, oftentimes we make our first foray into people management and leadership um, because we were high performers. And oftentimes there's a pretty significant gap there uh, between, you know, being successful at the doing and then leading people. Uh, we also know that the average person is becoming a manager at the age of 28 and not getting trained in, in any sort of leadership development way until about the age of 31. So when we think about those level down leaders, um, I think it's important for people to understand that gap in, you know, where they came from and where they're headed and taking hold of any training opportunities that come their way. Because if you think of yourself as a CEO in your function or department, um, CEOs don't really have any formal training to be leaders at their level. So whenever you have those opportunities, take them. Um, in terms of actually leaving your department or function as a CEO, um, I think you know it, it behooves leaders to create a culture of feedback where everyone feels comfortable, whether they agree or disagree with the direction something's headed, with the understanding that ultimately as a leader, you do make the final decision. But you know, we know that even when people don't agree with a decision, just the fact that they had the opportunity to be heard will help them adopt and move forward. So that's really important. Um, I also think that, you know, as a, as a leader um, at any level of the organization, um, you can act like a CEO by delegating the work to the people that have the, the strongest strength area that relates um, and aligns with that level of work and then trusting them to do that work which is the tough part, but really important. Um, and then, you know, in terms of um, continued development, partnering with peers and also members perhaps of your own team that have different strengths than you do. Um, and, the, and the reason that's important is it'll allow you to continue expanding awareness, your awareness, and enhance your strategic abilities. And then hopefully, at the end of the day, as a level down leader, you have the ability to work for a CEO um, that truly empowers you to make those decisions, um, who doesn't make you feel like you're punished when you make mistakes because you're going to get things wrong, um, and who truly understands that part of your growth and development and preparing for your um, climb up the ranks of leadership is that you're going to learn by making those mistakes. I love it because I feel like a lot of what you let off when you're talking about the CEO's role, you can sort of right size that for your level in the organization. If you're a VP, a director, a manager, even if you're an individual contributor, and you want to still act like that CEO, you know, it's, it's look out into the future. Maybe it's not three to five years. Maybe it's a quarter, maybe it's a month. doesn't really matter. But go ahead and look to the future and then start to to translate that way or, you know, be the storyteller, motivate and, and connect. You talked a lot about connection in the beginning. And now you've added in learn from and observe CEOs. You know, if you have a good CEO and you can watch what they're doing, try to emulate pieces of that. Uh, it, it's just such a unique opportunity. So I, I guess what I'm hearing is that it is an OK thing to advise our leaders at every level to go ahead and act like the CEOs of your respective department or function. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be able, if that's something that you're striving for, if that's something that you're looking to get to the C-suite one day, um, you need to start embodying that. So that way, when you get there, you know, you're not trying to take on actions and behaviors that you've never attempted before. That wouldn't be the time to test things out. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And, and I think even for those who don't want to be CEO someday, and, and some people definitively know that they're like, I don't, I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to be the number one. Uh, but there's still aspects of the role that are still tremendously powerful to understand, to, to develop your craft around and to emulate. One thing I think that you really did a great job in the beginning of, of laying out the CEO role 
is kind of related to talent optimization itself. What I love most about talent optimization, it places equal footing on the business aspects and the people aspects. I find a lot of parts of business gravitate to one or the other. They're either business devoid of people, which is a, a, a tremendous problem, or they're so focused on people, but there's no business context, in which case it's just, it rings a little bit hollow or soft, or it really turns off the, the business because they're, they're very rightfully so focused on, on results. So it sounds like that's a, a big part of what's coming through for you. Yeah, absolutely. The success is definitely a marriage of those two things working beautifully in tandem. And it's disappointing. Part of what you said around, you know, we, we promote our, our people to managers and they, they lead people, but maybe they don't have any amount of formal or even relatively formal leadership development. Uh, I, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your, your take on that. Well, um, one of my favorite stories to share with um, new leaders and even clients as I'm advising them, you know, on their leadership development is my own personal story. So um, at the age of 24, I went from being a high performing individual contributor to a director level position, having never loved led people before. We skipped that middle management, went right to a director level role. Um, the position I was in, I was now suddenly responsible for 14 employees, about $4 million in revenue and 450 students. Uh, I like to say it was not just a painful experience for me, but unfortunately for those people that I was responsible for leading, um, just out of just not knowing what my role was as a leader. Um, and man, what a big hit to the ego to go from being a top performer who's, you know, who's getting recognized all the time um, to all of a sudden being way down at the bottom of the learning curve and making all the mistakes and stubbing your toe. In addition to that, um, there had been four other directors in that role in the last two years. So there was a lot happening there. It was a bit of a revolving door, a challenging situation in many ways. But, you know, as is the case for most of us, it was an amazing learning op opportunity um, and really was my first foray into cultivating a deeper level of self-awareness, um, especially as it relates to who I am under stress. My secretary was kind enough um, and willing enough to give the very difficult feedback to me one day um, that, Liz, sometimes you're like working for a tiny general. <laughs> which I have to imagine was pretty difficult for her to share, um, but I so appreciate it. Yeah, I think when you create the type of psychological safety, you know, to put a term on it that you, you shared a little bit earlier, you create an environment where people can at least be a little bit more comfortable doing it, but it's never easy to tell somebody that they're a tiny general. So <laughs> kudos to her for having the, the, the courage and the determination to give you something that you needed at that time. Yeah, and ultimately that, that the team needed me to know. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly right. And I, I feel like, you know, a, a team who has a relatively new leader in a new position, whatever it might be, a lot of times, especially we'll go back to your part, point about organizational culture, if it's okay to make mistakes, if it's a learning organization, if it values the role of people, then, you know, a lot of times you have a little bit of leeway there, but, mm -hmm. uh, but not forever. You know, at some point you have to study your craft, you have to you know, be serious about it. And you have to realize something that you that you realize, it sounds like, which is, you know, what got me here in terms of being a high performer, to use the old Marshall Goldsmith, isn't going to get me there in terms of being a really effective leader. So yeah. it's pretty amazing. And, and so you shared a little bit about how you decided to to learn and, and really get good at that role. If we if we switch back to the CEO lens, in your experience, how do they learn how to be effective in their role? Like, how have you seen from an executive education mantle, 
what are some of the options that you see CEOs take advantage of that we might learn from? Yeah. So I think that um, it's really important that CEOs, it's really easy at the very top to kind of feel isolated. Like you don't have a whole bunch of partners that you can um, have a safe space and container for sharing and feedback. So some of the ways that that development um, can continue on in a way that feels good and right um, is through maybe a mentor or coaching relationship. Um, and I think that, and I, I've done some of this in the past, uh, previous to my PI days, I worked in talent management and had the opportunity to do some executive level coaching within my organization. And what I found true is that 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 function didn't just serve, um, you, you know, in terms of the professional day-to-day stuff that they needed to accomplish, but also holding them accountable to what they needed to be doing personally, because as the demands of the job and their leadership responsibilities mounted, um, they tended to take the foot off the gas of what they needed to be doing for themselves as people and humans. And so having somebody there to be a reminder of uh, you know, as I like to say, you're not a meat robot, that you have needs that you need to meet in order to be able to come to work every day and perform at your highest level. So I think a mentor or coach who can address both personal and professional life um, and then peers. So executive leaders at other organizations. Um, so maybe uh, if, if people have heard of Vistage before, it's a really great example of a, a safe container where CEOs can get together and share the challenges that they experience um, in a you know very candid way, um, have those confidential conversations, and really be committed to um, their development with a lens of curiosity. Because just because you're in the C-suite doesn't mean that you get to take your foot off the gas of development. You haven't, we're, we're never there. That work's never done. Yeah, I like to say that every great leader is a work in progress and, and always will be. I, I think there's always uh, things to learn and, and the environments that we're in are constantly shifting. I think last 18 months certainly have showed us that. And I love the idea of, of uh, it, it really works for leaders at every level, right? So dedicating yourself to, uh, could be coaching and mentorship. For those listeners who haven't had the opportunity to have a coach, it's really a fantastic way to have a co-pilot in your success and somebody who's willing to hold up a mirror and provide perspective and work through issues with you while you still retain the, the ownership and the accountability, which is really nice. Vistage, you know, and, and there's other examples of organizations like young professionals organizations. I love encouraging directors, for example, or other first level managers just to find peers inside your own organization, you know, yep. people who maybe have a little bit more experience than you do. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the ways, what would you have, if, if, let's say that I'm a first level manager and I'm, I'm reaching out and I, I, have some other peers that I'm, I'm going to have coffee with or whatever. What are some of the, the uh, mindset I, I should have going into a peer relationship, maybe with somebody who's a little bit more experienced than me? Um, and I think in a peer relationship that um, it's nice if, if you show that you're really committed to whatever time they're going to invest. So if someone's willing to share their expertise and advice and coaching that you show that you're uh, really engaged in that process and ready to take action on the things that they share um, and that you take responsibility for the relationship, you know, maybe you can help by scheduling those meetups, um, creating an agenda of what it is that you would like to talk about, what you need help and support on and making sure that you circle back on those items that you discussed last time what action steps you've taken since then, what went well, what didn't. Um, so kind of taking the burden off of the coach so that they just get to show up and, and support. 
I love it. I love it. Do the heavy lifting. Be a professional for all, for goodness sakes, bring a doggone notebook and a pen mm-hmm. and take some notes. If you hear something of, of value, uh, I, I hate to see people have a conversation and, you know, nobody's taking any notes. <laughs> You're like, what are we doing? You right. know, I, I'm, I'm using my valuable time over a lunch break. I could be reading something, whatever. I'm, I'm spending time with you. Like, show me that you you're committed to, mm-hmm. to care. And then all of a sudden I care in return. Absolutely. Really nice. I think that um, you mentioned earlier too, like one thing I love about the CEO role is that they have access to things like Vistage, you know, which is a great group, as you pointed out, of other peers and other organizations and situations. Most CEOs are going to have a board of advisors or a board of directors as well, which is going to provide some sort of, of um, independent counsel, I guess, based on the business context. Uh, and, and also there's other types of advisors and partners as well. In terms of being uh, with that CEO lens again, what type of interaction or what types of partnership have you seen work best for the CEO? Um, well, I think this sort of straddles our last question <laughs> and this next question. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about the um, CEO and the board and that dichotomy, it's really important, and it's not the only example of where it's important, that an executive leader understands um, their risk tolerance, the way that they make decisions, and I mentioned this earlier, how they're likely to react under stress. So cultivating a deeper level of self-awareness is part of that development and what they really need to learn and grow to be effective in their role. Um, And it's also going to be key you know, in the context of the board to those relationships and having that awareness about who they are. Um, from a broader perspective in other relationships, like maybe in the way that I get to interact with CEOs as a consultant, um, what I really love to do is to create a, a strategic partnership where we each come to the table with something. Um, I like to have my leaders educate me on their business and industry. doesn't mean that I don't know things about the industry I do, but I want to hear about it from their perspective. And I want them to know that I hear what their pain points are, their problems are, what keeps them up at night, what they're passionate about, and for them to feel confident that I get them and what's important to them. And then what I get to do is come to the table in turn and teach them about a strategic process talent optimization, for optimizing experience and performance for individual teams and organizations. And so that is a really lovely partnership of kind of what we were talking about, almost with that coach mentor role where, you know, you want to make it equitable for both parties. I love it. And I think that it's also something that, you know, if you're a level down leader and you're acting like the CEO of your functional area or of your department, you can still, you know, you may not have the opportunity to have a board of advisors formally, uh, although I'd encourage you to consider getting creative in that area and, and maybe, you know, recruiting one of your own. Mm-hmm. But you could also enlist the help of other people in your organization, other peers, and just say, hey, can I run something by you? I want to just take a walk through how I'm approaching my business. And I just want you to listen for potential holes, things I'm missing, just perspective advice. You know, just give me a chance to kind of shadow box with you here a little bit. And uh, it's just amazing to think that somebody can have more experience or perspective or just you know, play that role for you to thoughtfully listen, ask some questions and, and really advance your, your learning in that way. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's also about like challenging some of the things that you're thinking too, kicking the tires, um, asking the whys, the things that, you know, you, you aren't asking yourself, having a thought partner to, to challenge you a bit. Well, I would have benefited from having a Liz in, in my earlier days. I tell you the reason that I started this, this uh, venture of mine or this 
sort of uh, interesting giving back and talking a lot about leadership is because I was just so doggone bad at it. You know, I really focused on the technical aspects of leadership, but didn't really understand the role of people as well as I should have. And so it was it was a lot of self-study and, and uh, you know, gut wrenching, trying to get to that self-awareness and trial by by error and, and, and those types of things. So, uh, you know, I, I think you've given us some really great advice and counsel here about, you know, what the CEO lens looks like and how we can take pieces of it, whether we want to be a CEO someday or not. I, I love the idea of of connecting in that way. Well, thanks, Matt. It was my pleasure. <laughs> well, that brings us, of course, to the variety segment. Oh, my favorite part. And, and uh, I always challenge myself to write some sort of a fun segment or game for for our guests. And when I thought of you, Liz, and I know the work and respect the hell out of what you do with CEOs, I wrote a game for you called Hail to the Chief Executive <laughs> Officer in parentheses there. So I'm going to give you some clues. And what I'm asking you to do is guess the CEO that I'm describing from history. Oh, man. And or the company that they le led. Oh, the man. Okay? be a doozy okay oh it's gonna be so great it's gonna be so great uh, we'll start off pretty easy here uh this uh, is the ceo of a company that first mass produced the automobile it was back in the day the model t and uh, famously said you can have any color you want so long as it's black is it henry ford it is henry ford ford motor company of course very nice <laughs> this came from a list of some of the most uh the most famous and respected ceos of all time so we'll go to the next ones. This CEO was uh, the uh, creator and founder of a retail giant based out of Bentonville, Arkansas, and invented a management technique called management by walking around. Really was interested in walking up to frontline workers and asking them, you know, what's going on? What are you up to? What's going well? All these types of things. Retail giant out of Arkansas. I don't know. You got me. Pre-Amazon, big, big, big discount through the floor. Oh, it would have been, been Walmart. Walmart. Oh, and Sam Walmart. Walton. I never actually met Sam Walton, but he actually graduated from the high school where I went in Columbia, Missouri. And you know, I'm from Missouri because that's how I say it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, his daughters still live there, billionaires in their own right. And uh, it, it uh, this is my little fun fact. One time when I was in high school, they were having a birthday party for one of the Walton daughters and they had Kenny Loggins play at the at their house. And uh, all I, uh, there were state troopers everywhere, and all I could hear was "Highway to the Danger Zone," like blaring. Oh, it was it was amazing. So, quite a quite a different upbringing than mine. All right, here's another one. Here's the easy one. So, uh, former founder of Pixar was the CEO of Next Computer. Gave a famous Stanford commencement speech, uh, and and was a twice CEO, of course, at Apple. Oh, Jobs. Steve Jobs, the one and only. You want to talk about a storyteller? Holy cow, right? Yeah. Famous for that. Uh, you know, and, and um, I think also what's people, he was such a big personality. I think people discount how much advice and how much um, sort of help he got from other people inside Apple and, and, and around. So if you study jobs at all, you'll see that he had a lot of help, but obviously he was, he was a unique, uh, a unique person. And he wore the heck out of a black turtleneck. He sure did. He sure did. He pulled that off. I can never pull that off. How about this one? This is a, a CEO who purchased a fast food company and turned it into the largest fast food chain in the world. Champion of the Big Mac, of course. I don't, I don't know who. Not, not a big fast food person. No. This was actually Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc, they made a famous oh. uh, movie about him at, at McDonald's, of course. He went on, I believe that he uh, purchased, one of the first CEOs to purchase a sports franchise. I think it was the, uh, 
the uh, might have been San Diego Padres or Superstar. I'll have to look that one up. See, I'm not sure about sports ball. You're definitely not going to get the right answer out of me. So, I know, right? Well, we'll do one more. We'll do one more. This was a much more modern day. Uh, this is a, a, a Chicago-based talk show host. Uh, she has a magazine empire. She has her own TV network, and she's referred to as the queen of all media. Oprah Winfrey. It is Oprah Winfrey and her production studio, Harpo Productions. Got to see Oprah speak at uh, a, a show for uh, Qualtrics at one point. Amazing. It's just obviously an amazing woman, successful CEO. Un incredible. Absolutely incredible. Liz, you're incredible, too. Aww, I really appreciate your spending some time with us, sharing your perspective on the lens of the, the chief executive officer, the CEO. I've only got one last question for you, which is my listeners, where can they go to learn more about you? Let's connect on LinkedIn. Um, Liz Palmieri Coonley, pretty active out there. So I'd love to have you join into the conversation. I love it. And I will include your profile in the show notes and in the episode details. So listeners are only one click away from connecting with Liz, following her great stuff on LinkedIn. Liz, I can't thank you enough again. It's great to see you again. And thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. Here are my potently potable top three takeaways from today's episode. One, being a CEO is a big job, just like yours. It's helpful to think about your responsibilities and opportunities in line with this lofty and well-recognized title. Two, go beyond the hard stuff. You're likely to earn advancement based on your job performance, but it's your people abilities that will determine your long-term success. Three, seek out support. Find a coach or a mentor. Make it easy for them to help and support you by taking on as much of the heavy lifting as you can. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment in your leadership ability, and thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders. Until next time, don't just manage the business when you can lead the people. And he wore the heck out of a black turtleneck. He sure did. He sure did. He pulled that off. I can never pull that off.